Qué bueno, muy bien. Oh, that was really well done. Uh, good morning, and it is good to see all of you here this morning. It's a joy to worship together with all of you, and uh, again, to have the privilege of sharing uh, God's Word with you. Uh, before the message proper begins, I did want to share a letter that I received two days ago from uh, Marcelo Balcazar, who is a pastor in Santa Cruz, Bolivia, at the Bible Institute that your church supports. Uh, so here's the letter that Marcelo sent to me just two days ago. Beloved brothers and sisters of Fellowship Church Dallas, Pennsylvania, Please receive our warmest greetings from Santa Cruz de la Sierra, Bolivia. I appreciate the kindness of Dr. Jim Wilson to read this letter of appreciation to all of you. Our common faith unites us, as Paul told Titus, to Titus, my genuine son in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. Through the ministry of EBAC, you all, or I'm from Alabama, y'all, have blessed us with your presence. We give thanks for the lives of Paul, Mark, Bob, Leanne, Frank, and Lee, the folks who've been from this church to Bolivia. Truly, you have blessed us by teaching us the word of God, which is most important for our spiritual growth. We give thanks for your lives. For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do, Hebrews 6.10. Also, your love offering was a great help in our recent evangelistic medical campaign. We were able to preach the gospel to many people. More than 300 people came to our church in search of relieving physical pain, and every person was attended to, and each person left having heard the gospel of salvation. To God be the glory. God bless you, beloved Fellowship Church. You all there, or y'all there, in the north, and us here in the south, with the same motivation to make the gospel of our Lord known to all people. A greeting in brotherly love, Marcelo Balcazar, pastor and elder of the church in Villa del Mayo, Santa Cruz, Bolivia. So I just wanted to share that because he wanted it to be shared with you uh, as a note of appreciation for your investment in their ministry. So I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles, if you haven't already, to uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, and we're going to unpack a bit the passage that Pastor Mark read for us and talk about taking the plunge and consider uh, in this passage uh, the whole concept of wisdom and risk and how those two go together. And it may seem strange to you that this is a text that can actually get a mission sermon from, but we'll see how it goes. So Ecclesiastes chapter 11, wisdom and risk. Now, this may look like a tragedy. It's not. This may look like an accident. It's not. 
all these burning boats were set on fire on purpose. It was the year 1519, and the conquistador Hernan Cortes had his men burn their ships so that the only direction they could move was forward. Going back was not an option. Burn the ships. Burn the ships? Sounds like risky business to me. Now, Solomon the king never met Cortez the sailor, but I'm sure that Solomon the king would applaud the attitude. Take the plunge, take the risk, dive in, burn the ships. And that is precisely what Solomon advises us to do in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. He wants us to take some risks. And this is a book of wisdom, one of three books of wisdom that Solomon wrote. And he's advising us to take some risks. Now, I'd like for us to acknowledge that Solomon, in his book of wisdom, in this book and in Proverbs, has some strange things to say at times. If you turn back just a couple of pages to Ecclesiastes chapter 7, let me just point out three. And, and, and the book is actually full of them, but just some strange things that Solomon considers to be wisdom. For example, in chapter 7 and verse 2, Solomon says that it's better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. You see what he says there? In chapter 7 and verse 3, he says that sorrow is better than laughter. Because sadness has a refining influence upon us. In chapter 7 and verse 10, he says, don't long for the good old days. Because that's not wise. Now that seems pretty strange to us. It's better to go to funerals than parties. Sorrow's better than laughter. Come on, man. What are you talking about? That seems pretty strange. And Solomon's got some strange and odd sounding things to say in chapter 11. And his odd sounding words of advice in chapter 11 of Ecclesiastes is just consistent with what he's been saying through the entire book. So what, he's, what has he been saying through the entire book? Well, here's the way I would put it. Since life is fleeting and frustrating. Now, those are my words to try to sum up what Solomon says over and over again in this book. Life is fleeting and frustrating. Now, Solomon beats this drum over and over and over again until it's almost monotonous. And how does he say it? Over and over and over and over again. Well, you've read through the book. You know what he says. He says, depending on your translation, 
Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Futility, futility, everything is futile. He says it over and over and over again. In fact, he says it 33 times in the book. In addition to that, he tells us that trying to figure life out is like chasing the wind. Ever tried it? Ever tried to chase and capture the wind? I'm going to try it right now in front of you. All right, here we go. One, two, three. It never works. You can't chase and capture the wind. It's a futile exercise. Trying to figure out life is like that. Now, in addition to Solomon's repetitions, we all know that life is fleeting and frustrating from our own experience. Nothing lasts forever. Life is fleeting. And it's frustrating. Good guys don't always win. Sometimes fools get to be the boss. We try this, we attempt that, and few things really satisfy. Life is fleeting and frustrating. Now here's a gymism. This is Jim's way to try to summarize what Solomon says and what we know. Here's the Jimism. Life is unfigureoutable. Now you can look that up in the dictionary. It's not there. It's, it's up here though. Life is unfigureoutable. Anybody here ever tried? Anybody here ever had the success of making all the pieces fit in harmony? Life is unfigureoutable. Here's what I figure out after 67 years. Here's what I figure out. I can't figure God out. I know he's good. I don't doubt that at all. But I still struggle with why questions. Just like you. Why me? Why her? Why now? Life is risky. It's full of misfortunes. It's full of calamities. And uncertainties. So how do we handle the fact that life is fleeting and frustrating? Solomon, in this chapter, exhorts us to do two things in the light of the fact that life is fleeting and frustrating. First, he tells us, since life is fleeting and frustrating, be bold. Invest wisely. We see that in verses 1 to 6. Now, in, in these verses, Solomon tells us there's a lot we don't know and even more that we can't figure out. I want to draw your attention to something in the first six verses of this chapter. Four times, I want you to observe, four times 
in these six verses, Solomon tells us that we cannot know. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give, so there's the verb, cast and give a portion to seven or even to eight. For you do not know what disaster may happen upon the earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, that's where it lies. He who observes the wind will not sow. If you just keep watching the wind to try to figure out if the time's right, you're never going to sow anything. And he who regards the clouds, I wonder if it's going to rain. I wonder this, I wonder that. Well, you can't know. You're never going to reap anything. Uh, Again, in verse 5, do you see it? And as you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Can, can we all agree that Solomon tells us there are things we cannot know? Can we all agree on that? Can we all agree that this is a context of uncertainty? You do not know four times. And the illustrations he uses are pretty clear. You don't sit around watching the clouds. You don't sit around wondering you know, which way is the wind going to blow? Which way is the tree going to fall? Well, where it falls, it falls, but you can't know. You do not know. But based on that, Solomon says, what? Take action. Isn't that weird? Come on, isn't that weird? In Alabama, that's weird. You do not know, therefore take action. Because you do not know, do something. You can't just sit around watching the wind and the clouds. Uh, You'll never plant, you'll never reap. You can't know what's going to happen. You can't wait forever for all the circumstances to line up perfectly before you act. Take the risk. Invest. Weird? Verses 1 and 2. What are the two verbs? Cast your bread upon the waters. Give a portion. Now there's so much more to these verses than just give your money in God's going to bless you. Although every time I've ever heard this verse quoted, it's always in the context of cast your bread upon the waters and God will bless you. Yeah, that's there, but there's so much more to that. So much more to this verse than that. It's a shipping image. The picture is of a merchant sending out his ships full of grain And again, we've noticed that this exhortation to risk investment is in the context of uncertainty. Of course it's a risk to send your boats out full of grain. 
The ship may not come back. It could be attacked. The ship could sink. But if you ever hope to make a profit on your merchandise, you've got to launch some ships. You've got to invest. You've got to take a risk. Take precautions, yes, but take the risk. It's like in baseball. It's better to go down swinging than to always go down with that third strike breezing past you. I mean, you may miss the ball if you swing. But there's one thing for sure. You'll never get a hit unless you swing the bat. Risk. Invest. Invest what? Well, be bold. Invest. Invest your stuff. Solomon's focus in verses 1 and 2 Initially, it's financial. Invest your stuff. Send your merchandise. Send your grain out on the boats. Invest your resources, your stuff. Now, now when it comes to our stuff, biblically speaking, we've got four options. Four options when it comes to what you're going to do with your stuff. Number one, you can crave it and chase it. You can crave and chase stuff. For a lot of people, that is the meaning of life. Crave and chase stuff. Paul tells us this in 1 Timothy. But people who long to be rich and fall into temptation are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. You can crave it and chase it. Secondly, you can waste it. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. So you can crave it and chase it. You can waste it. Third, you can hoard it. Just Store it up and hoard it. James is pretty clear about this. Look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you are counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. So we've got options as it comes to our stuff. You can crave it and chase it. You can waste it. You can hoard it. Or third, you can invest it. I'm not going to take the time to read this passage in Matthew 25. You all know the story that the manager gives his servants talents. You remember the story? One's given five. There there, there are three of them. One invests in a big way get some return and when the master comes back he commends the guy who invested 
what he had been given. He gives the, the next guy a little bit less, but this guy invested. And here's what's interesting. When the master comes back, they both get the same evaluation and commendation. But then there was the one guy who took his stuff and what? He buried it and he didn't do anything with it. Do you find it interesting that Jesus himself commends those who take risks? And that the one thing in this parable that Jesus condemns is doing nothing. Taking no risk. Now, why do you think Jesus commends risk? I don't know. You think maybe it might have something to do with faith and trust? So you can invest your stuff. Be bold. Since life is fleeting and frustrating, because you cannot figure life out, take some risks. Don't sit around trying to figure life out. You can't, Solomon says. So be bold. Do something. Invest your stuff, but invest yourself. Like I said, I think Solomon is talking about much, much more here in these first six verses than just your resources. This is more than profit and loss. He's talking about an approach to life. Life is uncertain. Life is unfigureoutable. So based on that, Invest yourself. Jim, you sound like a crazy man. Hey, I'm just, I'm just reading what God said. Take a chance. Take a plunge. Risk the adventure. Well, Jim, will you ever get it wrong? Oh, man. <laughs> no, we don't have time to tell you. Invest yourself. Here's how Jack London put it. I would rather be ashes than dust. I would rather that my spark should burn out in a brilliant blaze than it should be stifled by dry rot. I would rather be a superb meteor, every atom of me in a magnificent glow, than a sleepy and permanent planet. The proper function of man is to live, not exist. I shall not waste my days in trying to prolong them. I shall use my time. Isn't that good? Several years ago, like many years ago, long time ago, a reporter had just visited the Jack London Historic Monument. And just after that, he was assigned to the Oakland Raiders. Remember when the football team, the Raiders, played in Oakland? That's how long ago this was. So this reporter who had just visited the Jack London memorial thing and had, had seen these words by Jack London found Kenny Stabler. How many of you remember Kenny Stabler, the quarterback for more or less? Dude, were you born? I wasn't born. Yeah, but it, yeah I wasn't born, but I... 
Yeah. <laughs> Kenny Stabler was a wild man. They called him the snake. Fantastic quarterback. But he's a quarterback. He's not an author like Jack London. So this, this reporter who had read the words of Jack London showed them to Kenny Stabler. And Kenny Stabler, you know, is looking at him and, and he says, you know, what do you think Jack London meant? So Kenny Stabler thinks for a minute and he says, well, here's my summary. Throw deep. <laughs> Throw deep. I did that left-handed on purpose. Throw deep. But throwing deep is a risk. You risk an incompletion. There's a greater risk for an interception if you throw deep. You risk getting sacked because you've got to stay in the pocket longer. It's risky to throw deep. But big plays happen when you throw deep. Games are won when you throw deep. Throwing deep is a risk. Invest yourself. Throw deep. I've seen several people here from Fellowship Church throw deep. As you've gone to Santa Cruz, Bolivia to teach the Bible. There are men and women from this church who have invested themselves and have thrown deep. They've taken adventures into cross-cultural ministry for the first time, some of them. Some of them have done things that they've never done before. But the risk was worth the investment. I know some people from Fellowship Church, Dallas, Pennsylvania, who have thrown deep. They're investing their resources in kingdom purposes. They've got their eyes fixed on what's eternal. Extra money? Let's give it rather than indulge. Money tight? Let's give anyway and trust God. Invest yourself. Get involved. Find a ministry. Serve. Give yourself. Don't have time? (laughs) Will you ever? Waiting for a few more things to fall in place? Still going to be waiting around next year with the same excuses? So, Jim, have you ever had a microphone fall off your right ear? (laughs) So, Jim, have you ever taken Solomon's advice and taken a risk? Eh, A time or two. Like in 1986, going to Jacksonville, Texas to plant a church with seven people. like going to Huntsville, Alabama to restart a church with 30 people. 
like leaving behind the familiarity of pastoral life that I loved and the comfort of U.S. life with new cars and a new house and the nearness of family to live and work in Latin America. Risky? All of it. Worth it? No doubt. But Jim, why? Why in the world would you do something like that? Why would you leave for Latin America when your first grandchild was going to be born in the next three months? Why would you live for nine years away from your two daughters and their growing families? I hate to go theological on you, but the only way to do such a thing is when you fix your eyes on what's eternal. Life is fleeting. Second Corinthians says that the things of this life are temporary. Don't fix your eyes there. Melanie and I consciously and deliberately made a decision to be away from our family for nine years because of what we believe. See, we believe in eternity. And we believe that we will spend a solid forever with our family in the presence of God. See, your theology really is practical. Life is fleeting. But don't let that freeze you. Eternity is forever. Let that motivate you. Trust God. But folks, trust only has meaning when there's risk involved. See, I can say, Jim, trust the fact that you're not going to fall off the platform. From here, (laughs) not much trust. Jim, trust the fact that you're not going to fall off the platform. Ah, That's a little more risky here, right? little more trust is necessary. Trust means nothing without risk. Trust God. Take the risk. Be bold. And invest wisely. But Solomon tells us something else. He tells us, because life is fleeting and frustrating, be grateful and enjoy life. You see what he says in verses 7 to 10? He tells us, rejoice in verse 8. 
He tells us rejoice in verse 9. Rejoice for those of you who have lived many years. Rejoice. Verse 9. Rejoice, young man, in your youth. And he begins by telling us, light is sweet. It is pleasant for your eyes to see the sun. God intends for us to live not just a life of faith and trust, but God intends for us to live a life of joy. Rejoice. He refers to the light of the sun being sweet and pleasing to the eye. Savor the sunlight. Enjoy life. This is Solomon's last exhortation in this book to enjoy life. He's repeated that theme throughout this book. Now, most people, when, when they think of Ecclesiastes, they think of it as a cynical book. I don't. Yeah, he says vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Yeah, he says that trying to figure life out is like chasing the wind. Yeah, he says all that. But this is a book that several times Solomon says the point of it all is to enjoy life. Look what he says several, several times. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. So I decided there's nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? What's he say? The point of it all is enjoy. You got one shot at this thing. Enjoy life. In chapter 3, so I concluded there's nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. Cynical? Well, maybe not so much. So I saw that there's nothing better for people than to be happy in their work. That is our lot in life. And no one can bring us back to see what happens after we die. You got one shot, go for it. Even so, I have noticed one thing, at least that is good. It is good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during their short life that God has given them and to accept their lot in life. And it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it, to enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. This is indeed a gift from God. And notice in verses 8 to 10 that this is for all ages. You notice in, in, in verse 8, if a person lives many years, let him do what? Rejoice in them all. Verse 9, rejoice, oh what? Young man. So in verse 8, he talks to the old people, like Paul Jackson. In, in verse 9, he talks about young people. No matter how many years we live, they should all be enjoyed. Young, old, in between. You know, someone said, childhood is for fun. Middle age is for work. Old age is for God. Childhood is for fun. Middle age is for work. 
old age is for God. I think Solomon says, every bit of that's wrong. All ages are for fun. And all ages should be lived for God. Whether you've lived many years, rejoice in them all. Rejoice, young man. You know, I'm not an, I'm in the young category, by the way. I'm not in the old category. But I've, I've been around enough that I've observed that every age has their own version of excuses for why they don't invest themselves. Why they don't enjoy youth. Here's the excuse. See if it sounds familiar. I don't know if it works here in Pennsylvania, but I've, I've heard it in other places. I, I'm waiting till I'm older and have more experience. But I read somewhere in a book, First Timothy, that said, don't let anyone look down upon you because you're young. Be an example in speech and conduct in love and faith and in purity. Example trumps experience every time, folks. Young people. Yeah, you don't have the age of Paul. Not the apostle, Jackson. (laughs) But young people. You can set the standard. And I challenge you, young people, show us, show us by the way you live what it looks like to love others, to trust God, and to be holy. Middle age, here's the excuse. I'm too busy, man. Maybe later, after the deadlines, after the kids are grown, got too many commitments, too much going on. Could it be that you've got your eyes fixed on things that are not eternal? Could it be that you're missing the joy of self-giving? Old age. Yeah, we've got, I I am old. Here's our excuse. I've done my time. I'm tired. (laughs) Leave me alone. I quit. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. We need you. We need your wisdom. We need your experience. Don't die a slow death. Show the younger generation what it looks like. 
to live a full, joyful life all the way to the finish line. Be like Brent Anderson. Who does sets of 50 push-ups and puts young people to shame. You know, it's sad. It's really sad. There are three men now involved in EBOC, retired pastors, who have called me and have said, you know, I'm looking for a way to, I still got something to give. I still got something to offer. But, you know, at my age, churches are not looking at me. Warren Wiersbe says it this way, as I get older, I'm asking God to keep me from getting set in my ways in a life that's routine, boring, and predictable. I like that. And I loved it when I heard the story for the first time of S.L. Potter from La Mesa, California, who went bungee jumping. He took his first jump off a tower with an elastic rope tied to his back at the age of a hundred. His children, his children, aged 68 and 74, <laughs> were standing by, not very happy about the fact that dad climbed up on to a 210-foot tower, but he was not going to be talked out of climbing and leaping off this tower. And you know what his first words were after he got down from his bungee jump at the age of a hundred? His first words, give me back my teeth. Take advantage of the energy of youth. Take advantage of the wisdom of age and enjoy life. But remember, but remember, God will evaluate everything. See what he says? In verse 9, rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart, in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, what? God will bring you into judgment. Enjoy life. Solomon says it five times in the book. You get one shot at this thing. You better enjoy it, because you don't get a mulligan. Enjoy life, but remember God will bring everything into judgment. Take advantage of all of life's blessings and opportunities, but don't forget God. So here's my question. Have you taken the resources that God has entrusted you with and invested them in eternal markets? And one of the things, folks, 
that Jesus will do when he returns, Matthew 25, is ask us how we've deployed our resources and ourselves and used what he has given us. Don't be the one servant who was condemned because he did nothing. Since life is fleeting and frustrating, unfigureoutable, invest wisely, be bold, and enjoy life. You've got one life to live under the sun. You can't figure it out. So trust God. You can enjoy it, but don't forget God. Did Jesus, our Savior, Ever take a risk and invest himself? Big time. And for Jesus, the investment was total. He left glory. He gave his life. And here's the thing, folks. Jesus, when he did that, did not timidly step into the dark unknown. I'm not sure where I'm headed. Let me. No. Jesus boldly and obediently dove into the known darkness. He knew that the cross was where he was headed. Did Jesus ever make any promises that might help us if we join him in a life of bold risk? Did Jesus make any promises for us? Yeah, he promised never to leave us or forsake us. But you know what's interesting? We quote that verse a lot. I will never leave you or forsake you. But that promise is given in a context of missional investment. All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And I will be with you in that task until the end of the age. Now, do I think Jesus is with us even when we're not engaged in missions? Absolutely, yes. But he is especially with us. When we can't figure it out, 
when we don't know how it's going to go, when we stop sitting around looking at the clouds and wondering if there's rain in them, trying to figure out which way the wind's going to blow a tree over, and trying to have everything exactly lined up, and we just say, you know what, I can't figure it out. I'm diving in. And Jesus says, I will be with you. So burn the ships. And my challenge to you is to give your all for the one who gave his all for you. Father, thank you for the sacrifice you made on our behalf. A sacrifice that we'll never truly comprehend or appreciate to leave the glory of heaven to step out of eternity into time to take on flesh and be obedient to death even death on a cross may we be bold and follow your example. Amen.